Hello and welcome along to the NZ Swim Bike Run podcast, home to everything swimming, biking, running and triathlon in New Zealand. Swim Bike Run podcast. This week, John O'Riddler, who you've heard on the podcast before, had a chat with Nick Russell. The conversation that you're about to hear is beautiful and inspiring, and we hope you enjoy it. Good day, everybody, and welcome back to the NZ Swim Bike Run podcast. Uh, thank you enormous, uh, enormously for your ears, time, and attention. My name is John O'Riddler, and today I have the absolute pleasure of introducing to, uh, you to Nick Russell. Uh, Nick is the founder and CEO of Kinsey's Gift, a charity which provides support for children and families living with life-threatening illness and bereavement. Nick has an amazing story of loss, adversity, resilience, and above all else, hope, having experienced challenges that many of us will never truly understand. Uh, Nick, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Jono, for having us. It's it's a pleasure, and it's great to it's great to hear about your swimming this morning and the. Fovo Challenge um, swim you've just done, that record-breaking attempt. I must admit, I was I was never, ever built for spade or real athleticism. I've always been a plotter and ten- more, uh, it was more tenacity on my part and wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, for sure. Thanks for that. So yeah. this is all about you. So I thought a good place to start this conversation would be your adventures in the world of triathlon. Obviously, there's a lot of listeners that... Um, uh, kind of in that world yeah. so uh, triathlon endurance sport and ocean swimming and how it was that you came to enter that world to begin with can you maybe just talk us through how that came to be well I've always um, enjoyed the outdoors because when I was brought up in Ireland we lived beside the ocean and the mountains so I was a great lover of the outdoors I got into road biking and swimming a lot there and um I learned to be a scuba diving instructor. That's what brought me to New Zealand. Um, I came here and was teaching scuba diving when I got here. And also the love of the great outdoors that you had here. And um, when you're diving in the ocean, you also wanted to swim in it. And um, I said I always loved to to ride a bike as well. The one thing I was never good at was running. That was absolutely atrocious. Um, but I did... Um, but again, it was one of those things when I moved out to Mototapu Island, actually with my ex-husband. Um, he was my husband at the time. Um, there wasn't much you could do in the ways of training, bar, bike, run and swim. And I used to run to the summit of Rangatoto with the double buggy with the kids in it. So that was sort of my my um, entry into running. And then a friend um, seen a woman's try series in the city side. So I thought we would try out and go over and do the try over there. I can't remember which try series it was now. And I think it was normal distance. It wasn't the short distance. It was a normal distance try that we did. And um, so I did get some looks taking a road bike off the island. And I got some <laughs> smart arse comments going, you're not going to ride that far, far in Rangatoto. And it's like, all right. And um, so I did middle of the field. We did quite well. And um, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it definitely wasn't up at the top of the... I, I would never be um, in the top of a field in anything. And... Um, so that got me sort of started and wanted to do more. But then, of course, um, I think life hit um, through a massive curveball in the fact that both me and Kenzie in 2005 were diagnosed with aggressive cancers within the period of three months of each other. Kenzie's wow. was a bone cancer. 
and um, it made her disabled. It was um, they were late in diagnosing it, so by the time they caught on what was happening, it was it had paralysed her, and um, so that was I think when you look at your child and you feel completely helpless and you know how cruel life can be in this vivacious little girl who couldn't move her body and use it the way she wanted to and whenever I was diagnosed with breast cancer I could still move my body the way I wanted to I could Mm. still revert to the thing that brought me sanity and helped me with my mental health which was sport so through her illness and my own I could still get out I could still swim I could still get on a bike I could still you know what I mean run around the domain when I was in the hospital with her I could go to um, Newmarket Pool in the evenings when they had the hospital granny in with Kenzie but she couldn't do any of that. You know, she couldn't, she was a great, she was a physical child. She loved to climb, she loved to run, she loved to be in the water, all those things. But children are f- so resilient. She just grabbed it, right? She just, you know, she perked right back up. You know, she, um, you know, the rehabilitation for her wasn't easy. But, you know, by the end of 2005, she'd start to walk again with a little frame that they said she wouldn't, they didn't think she'd get her movement back, but she did. And um, she was so happy and, 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 and full of life. But then... And I thought, you know, 2006 was going to be a great year because she was doing so well. And um, the the tumour site had um, literally just gone away. But the thing is, with cancer, you are immunosuppressed. And um, unlike anything, it's um, before Christmas, we were due to come home. And I asked for a broad spectrum antibiotic. They said, the doctor said, no, she'll find a low spectrum. She wasn't. She got septicemia and she died within a week. So that... Wow. That wrecked everything it i cannot explain the pain and the devastation that that does to someone at that time and i think even 16 years down the track your your brain's sort of an amazing thing it dulls that sort of acute pain that you're in in the agony because it's just devastating and i think it's one foot in front of the other but for me my son at that time was five, and I knew that he needed me more than anything. I knew this could also not just wreck my life, but wreck his, and I didn't want to crumble completely and not be able to put one foot in front of and offer him a good childhood and offer him the adulthood that he deserved to have. So, one, he kept me going. Two, there was no mental health support. You know, I'd, I'd sorted out myself, um, you know, because I knew I couldn't do it on my own. I had my support. And um, I was very open with Connor. You know, I was a hospital play specialist, so I was used to working with the mental health of kiddies in hospitals. So I knew what to do and what to say and all those type of things through that whole trauma of it all to keep it all sort of ticking over. But again, like for me, it was the thing that kept me every day. I went to the ocean. I went out for a run. I ran on the bike. It was meditative. It was being in your head. It was just like, and you know what it's like, you, you can shut the world out and it's just you and the bag or it's you and your run, it's you and your swim, it's just it's just you, it's not a team sport, it's you and it's and you're getting something out of it. And I and it just it it got me through, you know what I mean? Those those and I would sometimes be have my goggles on and crying in the pool sobbing, but I, I, every mm. length it, it, it worked. And the same on the bag, I thought if anybody seen me if I hadn't got the, the glasses on and people will relate to that when they're going through something tough, I'm sure most of most of the audience here, the people who are listening in, have had those moments themselves, and it's just brought them something to get them through really tough times because we've all got a tough story, right? And um, and I think that's what got me back into it. And I thought, um, and I set up Kenzie's gift. I mean, I started the seeds of Kenzie's gift shortly after she died, as I said, because there was no mental health support to help families going through serious illness and, and grief. It just wasn't there. And 
and we really knew we needed registered mental health professionals. So we officially set it up and we got the trust deed in about 2008. Now I have no money. I'm a, I was a single mum at that time, just trying to get back into my treatment. I had just finished in 2008, so I had a long road ahead with my own treatment. And um, so I thought, well, what can I do to sort of fundraise? Right, so and I think the first, I think it was Scott's... Um, Rice's Ocean Swim series was the first cab off the rank, I think, for me because I'd been swimming and I knew I was a relatively good swimmer. Well, thought I was a relatively good swimmer, shall I say, mm-hmm. until I went to the swim club and realised how bad my technique was. <laughs> and um, I think it might have been Bevan was the swim coach at the time, I think. And yeah, it, it was not a pretty sight. So. Um, it took me a while to actually get up to it. And I thought it was quite fit. And I was really, I, I thought it was fit. And I've nearly busted swimming 500 metres of the pool. What's going on? And be left for dust. Um, but the technique got better. And um, I signed up for Scott's challenge. And actually, a week out from the harbour crossing, I got knocked off my bike going to swim going to swim training. Right. And I broke my elbow. So I thought, what the heck? And Jeremy Corbett went and did the swim in my stead. So that first swim, Jeremy did it for me. This was, sorry to interrupt, but that was for Kenzie's gift. gift. So it? it was always to fundraise for fundraising. Kenzie. Yeah, fundraising. Right, right. So that was why I sort of got into doing the challenges mm. was, look, I could kill two birds with one stone, do something I enjoy that's good for my mental health and also raise some money. So um, then I went on, I went back in and did the swim then the following year, the Harbour Crossing. We did the Wellington one with Scott as well, and we went to do Christchurch, but the weather didn't play nice. And um, so then the next one off the rank for me was a marathon. As I said, I was never a good runner. Just in terms of timing, like is this uh, when um, when when was uh, Kinsey's passing? When, what, she was two thousand five. That? that was two thousand five. So, so she was two thousand five. So I was back doing my sport the whole way through that, but I had never entered an event. It was just for my own. Okay, you were training as a way to, well, not training, but just as a doing way, the exercise as a way to. You know, as, as, as a way to, it was my default way of coping. I'm always like being, I always enjoyed cycling. I mean, when I was back in Ireland, when growing up, I used to cycle around the Moorn Mountains at home and I would have went after school and done a 50 to 70 mile ride around the mountains just up by myself and like I was never a, a person that signed up through events. I just liked being out doing stuff. You know what I mean? I was never, and events never appealed to me because I'm not actually the competitive type. Mm. It was actually just for my own being out in nature, you know, being out and just, you know, taking in the scenery, the you know, being in the moment, you know, pushing my own body for, for my own sake, if you want for a better word. You know, that was really what I was doing it for, not eventing. So I was never actually training for an event. It was just for my own um sanity i suppose an enjoyment of sport and then as i said after kenzie died i was still doing my sport i was running biking swimming running biking swimming and then i thought well actually let's start actually doing an event and challenging myself and then raising money for the charity so that's how that sort of then started and um so i said first off the rent was scott's um the ocean swims then i did the Marathon, that was not a pretty sight and it hmm. took me over four hours to complete it. But I did run the whole way, I didn't stop. <clears throat> but I said, again, not a natural athlete by any stretch of the imagination. And I thought, never again. And um, then I got more into mountain biking and we did, there was, um, I did the ARC um, um, 
Adventurous down in the Carmandel. Um, I got more into doing the outdoor stuff. I did that. And then there was one on Rotorua we did as well, which was a multi-sport event. I can't remember the name of it. And then we... Then my friend had a tri-series in Wellington because they did a talk down in Wellington to a big conference and she was there. And she says, look, Nick, we've got a tri-series down here. We'd love to support the charity because, you know, the events you've done. Why don't you come down and do the tri down here? So I did, went down and did the scorching tri with them. So that was the tri-series that I did. I didn't actually do an Auckland one to my memory, but you've got to excuse my memory sometimes, John. I sort of like... It all blends in together. It all blends in together. You know, you did these things. Which one and when did I do it? Yeah. And um, so we did the Scorching series with her. So I went down every year and did the Scorching series when that was running with them. And it, and it was a great series because it was a community event as well. And they were behind the charity and they were just a lovely group of people as well. And, you know, you meet some fantastic people down there. And, and swimming in Wellington is somewhat different from swimming in Auckland as well. It seems well, to always be... colder, for cold. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is colder. And... Um, so then I got talked into, it was my friend then talked me into, she said, well, why don't you do the challenge Wanaka? And I thought, good idea um, at the time. So um, Ray Boardman was my coach for that. So he set me up the training plan. And I mean, I, I was leaving here in the morning, some like at 5.30 in the morning, running to Takapuna to do the pool training, running back home. So thought, well, that's a good way to get the running and, 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 the, and the swim in. And then taking the bike out. We used to do our long bike rides on a Sunday with the girls. Um, so I would have got the swim training in and went and did the bike. And the running. And the training was going all right. But again, I thought at that time, I, I was pushing 40. I think I was 39 at the time when I was training for it. And I was just going... In the back of my mind, my body wasn't responding as well as I thought it should be. You know, I just was sort of going... At, when it came to actually the challenge itself, I just didn't feel ready. I just felt there was something not right. But, you know, when you're doing sport like that, you're, you you get into the psyche, especially when you start doing events, I find. When I wasn't doing events, it didn't matter. But when you're doing events, it's like it's all in your mind. You can push through the pain. Your body can do absolutely anything. So you start having these mind beat-ups, this internal dialogue with you. Oh, you're useless. Just push through it. It's, you're being stupid. It's just being, you're being weak. You're being whatever. Just keep pushing on. It's... Um, Which I think is probably a pattern of thinking that a lot of athletes can identify with whether yeah. that's healthy or not yeah whether it's healthy it's, or not but then but then you speak to other people you know and you speak to other people if, you, if you're falling back come on keep going you're, you're fine you'll, you'll 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 get through pick up the pace pick up the pace pick up the pace you know you're you're, you're pushing you're you're you can do better than that you know you can do better than that and you keep that dialogue going and you think but, but why am i i should be able to but i'm not and what's mm. going on mm. And I didn't put two and two together at the time. So I got down to the event and it might, I mean, I really did have that, the mind just, I just lost it actually. The anxiety was just, I really, I had that moment. It was just like, this is not happening. I managed to, Ray managed to get me into the water and um, after a serious talk, but as they even halfway, it, it was choppy conditions. It was just, I, my head's not here. My head's just not enough. I've done years of training and I just don't feel right. And um, so that was the end of the challenge. And then I had to deal with that felt like failure because every other event I'd done, I had, you know, finished it at least. And even when we did the ARC, we actually won our category, which which was actually, I actually quite enjoyed that sort of element because you saw it when you're doing adventure race, it's more a strategy as well as fitness, which actually probably suited me a little bit. But um, in this, to me, it was a failure, you know, because I really let my mind went out and made the tendency to be so resilient and, and be able to, 
push through and thought I had the the um, resilience to push through it. I just couldn't, and my mind won out, as I said. And um, but what I hadn't thought of was actually my heart. So whenever I was diagnosed with cancer back when I was thirty one, they scan you automatically. They scan your heart regularly, just because chemo can be toxic, right? So and the medications I was having were quite toxic. But they found an abnormality in my heart, and they and it's actually a hereditary condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, which means your heart wall stiffens, right? So your blood, your heart doesn't pump your blood around your body when you need it, right? So, but the every I had an MRI every two years, and nothing had changed. And two years prior to me starting the the year prior to me starting the training for the challenge, the heart had been fine. So I just thought, ply on. Mm. So uh, a few months after the challenge, I had my regular MRI and I went and I'm seeing the cardiologist about two weeks later and he went, um, how have you been feeling? I went, now that you've mentioned it, I said, you know, I wanted to do the challenge one year, just it didn't happen. I felt training wasn't, you know, going as well. I said, what, what, was, what were you struggling with? And I went, oh, when I was hill running, when I was going up the hills, I was really struggling and I was getting dropped off the bike rides and in the pool I was getting dropped to the back and that was never... You know, I mean, even though I'm not a natural athlete, I, I was doing middle of the pack, you know what I mean? I wasn't doing too badly. And he said, well, the reason being you, you have gone into heart failure, your heart functions drop by 10%. I don't know what's caused that. <laughs> not really. mm-hmm. And um, he said, we need to start medicating because what we need to do is preserve the function of your heart. So he needed to put me on to beta blockers and ACE inhibitors. So he said, my cardiologist at that point said, you know, this is life changing for you now because you that loved your sport, you're you're not going to be able to perform the way you did, um. Because what the beta blockers are going to do is put to preserve the function of your heart. It's not going to let it beat as as quickly as you want it to do. So it's like whenever you whenever your muscles are pushing hard, your heart works harder to get the oxygenated blood around your body because the pump works harder. But what the medication does is stop that pump pumping heart it wants the pump to go at a regular pace right so once you put the pressure on the pump isn't going to respond the way you want it to respond so you're going to get breathless you're not going to be able to you know meet the needs that that physically you're trying to meet so i thought at the start well maybe i'll get away with putting a bigger cog on the bike so because i took it into um um the wonderful um team um in a various point road and the wonderful team guy and um, Scott Guy and the team there, they were wonderful. And Lance said, we'll put a bigger cog on, on, on your Pinarello. <laughs> um, that didn't work. Mm. So uh, it was an electric bike then. So I thought, well, stuff it. It's, it's um, you know, no point in having a pity party and crying over spilt milk here. It's um, electric bikes had just begun to come out at that time. So I bought an electric bike. Um, I did get looks. So I was told I was cheating. But it's <laughs> like when you've got a heart failure, it's not. It means it actually means oh, you, it's, sure. ac- it's accessibility, right? So it means you yeah. can still get back on a bike. Mm. Um, the running was curtailed, so it was it was it was walks, um, and and long walks at that point. You could still do a relatively long walk, and and swimming when I still went back to swim club, but I used fins, so that was. But I, I had to stop squats because this just couldn't keep up with squats, so I went just to sort of weekend swimming with fins. And over time, over this last time since it was forty, things have gone progressively worse over time. Um, what's then happened since going into heart failure? So I thought that that's bad enough. <laughs> Um, my original reconstruction that I had done um, when I had the breast cancer it failed so I needed a major surgery to fix that but that got botched so I, over this last sort of three years I've had about seven surgeries 
which then sort of with my movement and stuff which took me out of the water for a lot of the time because wounds weren't healing properly and stuff like that so it was on the electric bike carrying um over my shoulder when the wound wasn't healing a, a um it's called a vac machine it's a big huge pump because it tries to get because there's a hole in my chest so trying to get the hole to close so sighting with the vac pump you know on the bike or going for a walk but i couldn't get in the pump i couldn't get in the water so all my so I was having lots of stiffness and rigidity and slowing down a lot. I thought that's because of all the surgery I'm having. But then I was really struggling getting out of a chair, and I noticed my left, my right leg would would start um shaking, and people were picking up on it, but we couldn't figure out why the leg was the, the tremor was happening in my leg, and then it was getting tingling in my hands. We thought carpal tunnel, so we went off and had carpal tunnel surgery. And then my neck was getting really stiff. I couldn't Good surgery <laughs> um, for something that for something that then turned out actually wasn't actually what it was. Wow. And um, and then I was getting really stiff neck. I found it hard to get out of bed. Um, I began to sort of um, shuffle when I was walking. I was getting really slow. My arm wasn't swinging. People were asking me if I was all right when I was talking to them because I actually looked sad and mad all the time. And um, I started to mumble a lot. My nose started to run. I started to drool I was like, going, and I started to look up because I kept going back to the doctors and thought, am I a hypochondriac? There's just one thing. <laughs> and then my hands wouldn't work. I couldn't actually type anymore. I had to go to dictation software because my hands literally would not work. I'm going, I thought it was MS. So I actually went and seen... It was been confusing. It was really confusing and it just felt like you're going constantly with one ailment after the other and the GP was looking at silo, like one condition it will send you off to look at that. Swallowing was the other one. I, was, I, I nearly choked on food about five times, and that was a big concern of mine. So I was changing what I was eating, and again because you'd swallow, but then it was like your your brain wouldn't tell your throat to swallow. It was like the message wasn't getting through. It was something really weird. And then I met my oncologist. We were discussing something else, and I walked into the room, and he took one look at me, and he said, "Have you been feeling?" And I said, "Have you been able to get out of a chair?" And I went, "No," and he's like, "He." He said, you've got Parkinson's. And I went, and then it all made sense. So one part of it, it was, so it was young onset at that stage. It was, this was about two years ago. And I was 46, 47 when I was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And so for one, in one way, it was relief. It was like going, thank God, it's not all in my head. Because you really do think you're going out of your head. You know what I mean? You really think it's like, you're insane and, and they said when people are talking to you and asking you are you all right because they think you're either you're, you're pissed off with them because friends were thinking i was pissed off with them because of the way i looked and um it all made sense all this you don't have a diagnosis as well then yeah. you want to say it's this but if you can't yeah. definitively say what it is then yeah like and they all say, think, think oh she's just going a bit yeah they're just thinking something's not right but nick but then they thought, well, it was all the surgeries I was having or the fact mm. that I was just tired or feeling a bit depressed or a bit anxious or because of all this stuff that was going on in my life. And through it all, I was still, you know, in the water, you know, on the electric bike, still, you know, doing stuff, even with all those symptoms. But I was finding it really hard to get my leg over the bike. And it's a dutchy bike, right? But I couldn't get, I was really, I had to lower the bike to get my leg over the bike to actually get on the bike to actually ride it. And um, but when I got the diagnosis, then they put me on to dopamine replacement therapy, and that's worked really well. But I am on a high dose of that, so I take it four times a day. They've got me on um, five hundred over two hundreds, which is slow release. So I I get up and take one in the morning, and um, that sort of because when you get up in the morning, you feel like you're an eighty year old because you're so stiff, and it's um, 
and then you sort of begin, and, and the tremors and you're shaking a bit and then once you you know take the drug i mean you're it's like the switch is on right and it's um and then you get you're set up for the day and and then that's where we find you know with the biking and I was really beginning to get to the point with my body were for me that always loved sport you know and as when I said adventure sport even if it wasn't events it was the fact that you know when I went mountain bike we went on big mountain biking trips around the South Island you know it's it's um I did all the big rafting trips around the South Island I've done some of the big hikes around the South Island you know I mean all those you know so even if I was doing solo or an event it was a big part of who I was and who I identified with even when I had the kiddies, I wasn't going to go to coffee morning. I'm not a coffee morning mummy. I'm a adventure sporter. I'm a, mm. I'm this. I'm not that. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that, again, we're getting a diagnosis of Parkinson's. It was like, it's just been a cruel twist of fate because, I mean, my malfunctioning body robbed a lot from me. And the fact that whenever I was a dive instructor, I mean, I, I dived a thousand dives around the New Zealand waters. I mean, I love my diving and not to be able to do that anymore. And it was like, it just seems everything's been taken away from me because my body's failing me. But the one thing I could do, I live in Devonport. The ocean is on the doorstep. And I was still swimming and I thought, well, after the, di- the the Parkinson's diagnosis, I thought, well, I'll just keep swimming. You know, I went from one summer, I just thought, I'll just keep going. And not even thinking about, I suppose, any of the, the benefits, because, you know, it hadn't really started, the whole thing of Coldwater Swimming Internationally hadn't really started, you know what I mean? I'd, my cousin had actually been swimming for years in Ireland, in all year round, and she'd been doing it for years. There was a group of group of them, probably five or ten women that had done it, I said, before it got trendy. And, um, and Which is like, sorry again to interrupt, but what you're referring to is this rise of what's called wild swimming, right? Yes, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. something that's really become popular Especially over in the UK, yeah. Since um, since COVID hit, everybody's out in the ponds and yeah, yeah, the, the re- beanies and yeah. So yeah. it really it started to get trendy. But whenever I started thinking about it, it, was more listening to Jill, um, my cousin at home, and it gets down to five degrees. I mean, it, you know, it is cold ocean water. I mean, it's it's um, you're lucky if you get into double digits in summertime in the water over there, right? Mm. So. And it was sort of, oh, I thought, well, Jill's doing it. She, she really gets the pleasures out of it. I just think I'll just keep going. And and um, so then last June, I decided on the 1st of June, I put out a little video. I thought, well, actually, COVID's hit. The fun, the funding for Kenzie's Gift has taken a bit of a hit. And like Kenzie's Gift, like, it's, it's my passion. It's not my full-time job. You know what I mean? It's something I've dedicated my life to since Kenzie's died. And... Um, it's been it's grown organically you know it's um what we primarily do is we do one-on-one therapy you know for families that have been affected by serious illness or grief majority of it is grief work to be fair it's um most of those families it's a terminal illness so mostly the oncology sector and some of the families that we've had have been sudden death and um so it's really tragic stuff and they they don't qualify for um support through the child and adolescent mental health service because if it's a grief if it's a traumatic grief it's grief it's not a mental health condition and um so to me it was always we let it grow organically because we're small so last year we've seen 70 families and delivered 700 therapy sessions so that's one hundred twelve thousand dollars. now yeah. said so, so on the charity there's me doing one day a week i'm paid by lotteries they they pay for some of the admin and we've got a grants writer 
and um, we've got a lovely girl that does digital marketing, mostly voluntary, but she helps with our developing of our other resources. So it's a very lean machine, right? And I've got my full-time job, right? Mm. So this is weekends and evenings. I dedicate my time to doing this. It's amazing. And it's it's um, because I know the families, there's nothing for them out there. And it's not the type of charity where you can go, you can hear a nice story because these are vulnerable families. And for kids to come and say, I've lost mom, lost dad, lost my brother, lost my sister, or whatever's happened to them, it's very hard to get the poster person mm. you know to, you know to share that it's really difficult and, you, and we can't ask them some children have come forward we've had a lovely young man Luca has shared his story and lovely Becca shared her story last year wonderful ambassadors and they speak for thing they profile it for the other children who really you know I mean it's, it's a hard you know subject to talk about and so oftentimes that's why I will share and hopefully people don't think I'm oversharing but I'm sort of speaking for them because it's it's, it's a hard thing for them to share so on that note, so going back to the funding then and, and, and why we do it. So I thought last June, look, I'll swim every day of, of, of June. And if I'm going to swim every day of June, I will then put it out as a fundraiser for Kenzie's gift. <laughs> and um, so start just putting it out socially um, across my social media. And then people start to join in. And um, friends would have joined and then people start donating and people start donating and after a month, we got $16,000 in. And I couldn't believe it. It was just people really got behind it. And people who said they would never swim in cold water, you know, they just enjoyed it. And it was such a nice, the unintended consequence of it was the social thing, social side of it, which triathletes and, and all your listeners will get because it is the social thing, you know, your peers and being able to be with a group of people who get you. You know, when you share your life experience, it's not just the competitiveness of the sport. It's all the other stuff that come with it, right? Mm-hmm. You're there for each other when, when tragedy and life events hit and we all have a story and something, none of us get through life unscathed. We've all got something will happen to us and we hope that our friends and our buddies and whatever we're doing will be there for us, you know what I mean? And they will get you through. And, um, you know, that was the amazing thing about the cold water swimming last year was the camaraderie. But what also happened for me was when I think about the Parkinson's was Parkinson's isn't just... um the physical side of things there is the non-motor stuff that you don't see so because you've got very little dopamine in your brain you are at risk of depression right one and anxiety especially anxiety and i was always a worry wart but what i was finding before even the anxiety i got the diagnosis of the parkinson's was i was catastrophizing a hell of a lot of stuff and i just thought is am i catastrophizing because life is just throwing me a slap of shite and it's just you, you keep getting triggered because something else gets thrown at you and you're and I'm on my own, right? You know, it's you're trying to do your best, you know. We all try to do life finances, you worry about jobs, COVID hits and you worry about your health and, and all that stuff, and you're just constantly going and you're dealing with it on your own. And it's um but what I found was the hit that I got from the cold water swimming, anecdotally, you know, I know there's some sense coming out, but I found I got such a fix and it actually calmed an overactive mind at that point out it calmed the anxiety down a lot. It was really good for my mobility, I think. As well with the Parkinson's, I get really bad inflammation. And some nights I'm just awake because the pain in your body is just so bad. and Because you're so stiff, your, your muscles get really stiff. It just, it was amazing. So we then kept going. Um, I was out for a surgery after June. I had a surgery in August last year. So that took me out for another five weeks. But I got back in, in September with sound, sound effects, I must admit. Um, when I first got back in the first week, there was lots of squealing. Um, after you get back, you get used to the squealing stops again. You can get in without sound effects. And um, and we've just kept going since. And it's um, 
So again, this year we're we're going again. So we thought um, winter swim challenge this year. I thought there's no way I'll raise I'll raise sixteen thousand on my own. Um, we desperately need money, and like as I said, we spent one hundred twelve thousand dollars last year on therapy for kids. The demand has gone up again this year. I don't know if it's post COVID or the fact that you know other people, um, or the fact that people are more aware of the services that we're delivering. The referrals are creeping up and. We've had to cap our sessions, so used to be we could we would try and support families for as long as they needed, but we can't actually sustain that. So we do twelve sessions with a therapist. Twelve sessions cost about two thousand dollars a family, so that gives you an idea. If we've got thirty five families in our books, of seventy thousand. You know, you know we've got about fifty I think in our books at the minute. Mm. So we want to keep that commitment going. So the winter swim challenge this year. So what I thought, well, look, I did sixteen. Can we? top it this year you know i thought can i double it at least it would be even better if, if we managed to smash doubling it so the winter swim challenge this year we thought right okay we'll open it up i will do it for, for 90 days this year i'll swim every day of winter which is going to be a bit challenging because i am away for work at certain periods so it's going to be a bit of a mish i'm going to be reaching out to the wild swimming community in new zealand to tell me where i can swim in rotorua and in the waikato over june i need help with places to go um so i'm swimming for 90 days the last two weeks of august we're going to do a south island tour and swim the last two weeks in the south island so we thought we really would hit cold water and southern lakes so we want in some of the lakes well in some of the lakes yeah. every day from we fly down on the 20th of august to the 31st of august so we will be looking for swimmers to come along and join in the road trip down there and, and mm. sponsor us down there but what we also want people to do is actually do your own winter swim challenge. We've set up the website. So we've got daily dippers. We've got weekend warriors. We've got midwinter or choose your own. So it's not limited, but there's we've set up four choices because we thought when we first set it up about a month ago, I think people were getting a bit confused because they thought, oh, it's mainly Nick. And if we want to do something, but we don't really know what to do. And we thought, right, we'll simplify it. Here's four options. Um, Even daily dippers don't have to be every day. You might do four days a week, but you can be a daily dipper. Um, you could set, like, John, if they're like you, they would go and swim the full, full straight and try and beat mm-hmm. your record. Um, they would struggle to beat your record. <laughs> and um, But they can set up any challenge, but get your mates together, get sponsored, um, and, and, and join in the challenge and join in the fun, really. That would be, that would be really, really good. And it's really, um, get behind it, because we really do need to raise as much money as I possibly can, as I say, because we are a little charity. Yeah, to help these families. It yeah. is to help these families. And I said, mm. we're, we're not a big charity with a big... Um, you know, we're not a big corporate charity. Like somebody asked us the other day, they said to us, so what's your admin, you know, compared to your deliverables? So our admin is 18% of our overall operating cost, but of the 18%, 60% is paper lottery. So that brings us down to 9%. And most of that is, is you know, from um, sponsorships that we get in. So it's a very low, um, very low operation cost as opposed to the deliverables that, 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 we, that we put out. So we're very, very lean. You know, we're not paying for buildings. Um, you know, we do have we do pay some of our stuff because people do need to be paid for their work. You know what I mean? But that is, you know, when we get our grants right, or you know, um, what we invest in her pays the dividends and getting the grants in. So I mean, it, it's without those grants we couldn't, you know, deliver the work we do. So, um, we are very lucky where we have a fully professional board that give their time voluntarily. We have an accountancy firm that does our accounts at no charge. So we've we we keep our costs down like that. So. Um, we're not paying big salaries, so there's nobody here on a hundred thousand dollar salary or anything like that. That's definitely not the case with us. So we're filing money goes to to source, 
So it's like, yeah, so we need your help, really, and these families need your help. And it's, um, you know, the stories keep coming through the door with two young people recently, you know, who's who were who have been affected by suicide that they want support. And it's um, this comes through every week, you know, families said parents are terminal. This is this is what we're getting all the time, and it's I don't want to say no. You know, I mean, I don't want to turn anybody away. I don't want to put them on the waiting list, but um, you know. We can only do it whenever we've got the money in the bank, you know, and that's it's um so yeah, so it's um if anybody can help, if anybody's keen, um we would love you to help us out. You know, they can reach out, check out, you know, Kenzie'sgift.com, check out the website, check out what we do, check out the stories on there. You can find out about the challenge that's on there on the homepage as well. It's um yeah, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to share our story and what we're about, you know, with you all and it's um yeah. Of course, yeah. Um so that's starting from First of June. First of June, and it runs the thirty right. first of August. So there's plenty of time. Winter's three months, so don't think you're missing anywhere, out. Anywhere, doesn't matter. You can, anywhere in the world, even. Yeah, like anywhere if, in the world. You know, yeah. I've tried. I've reached out to my brother. He's in Sydney, and I thought you can get your kit off. <laughs> <laughs> set up your team. So we've got Spud Buds, which is the Wellington team that's set up. So we're the blue tits. We've got our team. So we do need a few more teams. We've only got two on. So we hope the Aussies will come against the. The 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 uh, us New Zealanders and I'm trying for an Irish team as well and a Scottish team but they're actually in summer so I don't know if we'll manage to rope them in but anywhere you can get well in the UK anyhow it's cold it's not it's not like it's <laughs> still not like, be as cold as here yeah yeah well yeah. I think when we go to the South Island I think it'll be suitably cold I think even when I go to Rotorua I'm going to get the shock of my life when I go into the blue and green lake there will be <laughs> there will be sound effects absolutely yeah. there'll be sound effects and um, you yeah push yourself I do have to push myself yeah. <laughs> But again, it's like for everybody, it's like while I'm, you know, saying everybody get in and do a dip, even on on the Winter Swimming Challenge website, we have got how to do it safely. We, you know, I mean, it's, if people haven't been in cold water, they really do have to do it carefully. They have to, you know, even just get in for a short period of time. It's not about being in there a long period of time. Like all of us are used to swimming in cold water and we know how to habituate and do things safely, you know what I mean? But we are encouraging people to do it safely so they can read up on how to do it. Mm. safely and keep themselves safe and well when mm. they do it and also how to warm up carefully and always have warm clothes a warm drink for sure. you know, yeah. warm drink hot water bottles really good as well do not pour hot water over yourself after you've been in the cold water you will probably go into shock it's not a good idea <laughs> so it's it's um yeah and it's not about how long you spend in there you know what i mean it's just if you haven't done it before it's get in and you can get straight out again it's even just you can get in and get out but yeah Awesome. That would uh, probably be a pretty good natural place to finish. But one question that was that I think is probably important to ask, and you know, you went through uh, in the telling of your story yeah. just now a lot of pretty significant life events. Like if if I go back, you had um, Kenzie who uh, who was um, susceptible to paraspinal bone cancer. Yeah. You had your own uh, difficulty with cancer. You mm. had cardiomyopathy. Mm. And now dealing with Parkinson's, I guess the the question is uh, for me is like, what have you ever thought about what it would be like if you didn't have the exercise, the the cold water, and and what life would be like on a day to day basis without that? You know, have, have I, you ever? I couldn't. I mean, I think my life has always been. Like who I identify as has always been sport. I mean, I really got into sport when I was fourteen. When I got my first road bike, and I started, you know, I said I grew up at the foot of the Moor Mountains and on the coast, and it's stunningly beautiful over there. You know what I mean? And it was my, you know, I think 
I've never been a competitive person. I never liked team sports. It was always that that was my headspace. That was how I sort of, you know, I mean, dealt with life. I think we all find our ways of how we manage and navigate life and, you know, when it's stressful and when it's not and what brings us joy. And um, so I couldn't think of life without it, right? You know what I mean? And even my doctors have all said, I mean, even my cardiologist, every one of them, my surgeon, cardiologist, neurologist, uh, oncologist said they can't even believe that the stuff I still do on an electric bike, still out walking, they, they said, you do more than most of our patients with nothing, in That's essence. Amazing. You know mm. what I mean? It's like compared to people that walk through their door on, on a given day. And they said, that's what we think you're doing as well as you're doing and keep doing it. At no time have they said, Nick, you need to stop. The neurologist especially has said, the Parkinson's people have said particularly, you need to keep moving. So the big thing with Parkinson's, especially because it is a movement disorder, that's actually what Parkinson's is, because the dopamine controls all your big muscle movements, right? So it is a movement disorder and you need to keep moving. What is What sort of holds me back is they found boxing. And high intensity stuff is really good for Parkinson's, but because I've got the cardiomyopathy and heart failure, I can't do that. But yet I still keep, you know, going. So I will still keep walking. I will use the electric bike, even if I'm on the most powerful setting that I've got on the bike. And I'll keep swimming, you know what I mean? But I do keep keep moving and keep adapting. And, and so long as my body allows me to do that, I will keep going because it brings me, that's my quality of life. That's who I am. That's what brings me joy. And I think you might call it blue therapy, you might call it green therapy. I like being out in that, not, we're not in a concrete jungle in New Zealand. We have got it on our doorstep and it is free. It doesn't cost anything. You know, it's not, you don't need a lot of money for rehab, right? You know what I mean? You don't need a lot of money for your quality of life. It is that that brings it to you, you know, and it's, and I feel very blessed that I, I was able to move to New Zealand, call it my home. I feel so lucky and blessed to be here. And um, my son is a Kiwi. It's, um, you know, so was Kenzie and Fry very proud of, of, of who we are and this and this place we, we get to call home Ezero, it's God's own, right? Mm, and it's mm. we don't take that for granted at all any day. And it's and even though my body has malfunctioned the way it has, you seen this give me the greatest gifts I could ever ask for. It give me my children and it give me these experiences that I will take to my grave. And to me that's what life is about. It's not about the I've spent my money when I've had a bit of disposable money on trips and experiencing experiences, not on stuff. You know what I mean? I my bike costs more than my car. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> which is probably true for for most of us, for right? a lot of you know people I mean? listening as well. And that's what we want to spend. It's going out and, and embracing New Zealand. What I feel robbed of is I wanted to do the route burn some of those big walks, which I know I cannot mm. do. But I've done a hell of a lot more than most people have done. I've experienced all of New Zealand, and um, I've toured it numerous times down the South Island and and the North Island, and I don't have any regrets. It's um, as long as you know. I'll always find a way of getting out and experiencing it no matter what my body does, but I'm going to make sure while it's working the way it's working that I still can embrace it. Mm. You know? So, yeah. That's such a good perspective, I think. Mm. Uh, how can people find out more about the Winter Swim Challenge? Well, I think the easiest way to do it is to go onto the Kenzie's Gift website. Because mm-hmm. as soon as you're on the homepage, you could click straight through to the... Because I think the Winter Swim is Winter Swim slash Raised It's something ridiculous. So I think it's easier to go on the Kenzie's Gift um, website. There's also on the Facebook page is Winter Swim, Winter Swim Challenge for Kenzie's Gift. Um, but you'll find all that once you go onto the Kenzie's Gift website. Just click through to the... Which is kenziesgift.com. Dot com. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Even if you're Googling Kenzie's Gift, it will come up. And um, yeah, you can find out. And anything they want at all is just reach out to me. It's um, I'm Nick at kenziesgift.com. All my details are there. So yeah, please reach out. Join us. You know, we appreciate anything that you can do. 
And if you don't want to get in and swim yourself, you can always pay me to swim for you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll be dipping for 90 days and I will want to be paid for those um, every single yeah. every single second that I'm in that water and all is for a very good cause as well. So <laughs> Every gasp is worth it. And, the, and like today's a nice winter's day, but I'm sure like last, even last June, we had awful days lashing rain. We still got in and we swam. It's, I'm sure the South Island, we may not get the nicest of weather, but we will be getting in. Unless it is completely ridiculous and not safe to get in, okay, will not be. So if we have to miss a day and if, if I have to make it up with double dipping on a day when it's safe to swim, it'll be a double dip. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Did you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I just want to say, uh, you know, thank you to, to you, John, um, um, you know, to Stephen, to everybody who's getting behind this. And it's just to, to the to the whole triathlon community and sporting community and you said you've been good to me you know i've met some some of you along the way and um you know and i just think the community here in new zealand it's an amazing one and it's there's a lot to be said for that camaraderie and the support that that is there and it's yeah and um i want to thank you all for for everything you do and um yeah i just hope life is life is good and they continue enjoying what, what you enjoy doing perfect thanks a lot for your time uh uh, and um, and opening up as well and sharing your story, I think it's really important for uh, for other people to hear that and and just like the level of service that you have towards Kenzie's gift and wanting to help other people like that comes through really really strongly, and um, I think that's really honourable. Uh, you know that you're not focusing in on yourself and your own problems; you're actually yeah. just wanting to serve yeah. other people. Well, I think um, well, I think the reason for that as well, John, I have to say that. You know, whenever me and Kenzie were, were so sick, the community here in New Zealand were so outstandingly good to us. And this is my way of paying it forward. You know what I mean? I can't give them back monetarily what they give to me. Um, but they were there in heaps and bounds. And that kindness that they give to me, I wouldn't be here without the kindness that was shown to me and Kenzie from, mm. you know, the community here in New Zealand. They have been so tremendously good. And it's for people that I didn't know, you know, strangers and still strangers come and help. And with me doing these challenges, they still they don't know me or, or they didn't know Kenzie Parshi, but they get behind it and it's giving back. So that's why I give back because people were so good to me and to me it would be selfish not to. You know mm. what I mean? And it's, it's um, maybe to my financial future, financial detriment, but it's like, but that's not what it's about to me. It is about giving it back and paying it forward so somebody's journey in this life won't be as hard as what mine's was. And if we can ease their pain because I know what it's like, we've done something right, you know, so... And it's Kenzie's legacy as well. She only got to have a short life. You know mm. what I mean? And I think if we didn't live the best life we can, it would be dishonouring her legacy. You know what I mean? She was robbed. We're still here. It's for some reason I got to have a long, a longer life than she did. So we need to embrace every moment we've got and I think make the most of it. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And Thanks, I definitely encourage everybody to get out into the cold, not just for the benefits of being in cold water, but to support Kenzie's gift as well. Thanks again, Nick. Cheers, That's it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the NZ Swim Bike Run podcast. If you did, we'd love it if you left a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can have future episodes on your device ready when you are. If you want to continue the conversation, join us at NZ Swim Bike Run on Facebook, Instagram, and nzswimbikerun.nz. Thank you.